Recovery Elevator, episode 111. What you are searching for in the bottle, what you are searching for in drugs or whatever, it's it's there for you in something else. Like that feeling, that that connection, that purpose, that love, that understanding is there for you in a more fulfilling way. And I Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, six months, two weeks, and one day. On today's podcast, we've got Lou. He's been sober since January 2015. He's 27 years old and is from New Jersey. One thing that stands out from the interview with Lou is how he had a spiritual awakening first and then got sober. According to the traditional 12 steps we're all accustomed to, the last step basically says after following these steps, we experience a spiritual awakening. However, Lou had a spiritual awakening first and then got sober. It's a great interview. You're really going to enjoy it. On a Saturday, May 20th, 2017, there is a run for recovery. This is a 10K and 5K, which takes place in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, and is dedicated towards raising funds for the Alive Again Life Recovery Mission, which is a recovery nonprofit. Can't make the run in Bozeman? No problem. You can have a race packet sent to you and participate in the virtual run. Yeah, you can virtually join us in this nonprofit run for recovery. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash run and use the promo code recoveryelevator for $5 off. Okay, let's get started. Many people are so hesitant to quit drinking because they view it as a sacrifice. Is quitting drinking a sacrifice? I can answer that question with two words. Hell no. If you ask yourself, what am I giving up when I quit drinking? The answer is absolutely nothing. The thing that makes it so difficult to quit is the fear that we will be giving up or sacrificing our crutch and pleasure in life. But think about it really. Lately, has that alcohol been a pleasure in life? Advertisers have done a great job of leading us to believe that when we quit drinking alcohol, we'll be creating a void in our lives. Basically, solve one problem, create another problem, aka a large void. However, no such void will be created if you have the right mindset. In fact, the opposite will be created. What's the opposite of a vacuum? Emptiness, nothingness, nullity, blank space. Wait for it. I'm sure the gears are spinning. Wait for it. The opposite is called opportunity. As I said at the end of the Recovery Elevator podcast, episode 110, a life without alcohol is not an obligation, but a tremendous opportunity. If you've been wondering what has been off in your life lately and you're listening to this podcast, I'm willing to bet my favorite Ninja Turtle costume, Michelangelo, the problem is alcohol. Yes, this podcaster with a brain 1.2 times bigger than the brain of an ostrich's with no medical training, just correctly virtually diagnosed you without ever meeting you. Now I understand if you need to hit the pause button and let that sink in for a bit, but join us back here when you're ready. Okay, welcome back. Is quitting alcohol a sacrifice? Once again, hell no. Get one thing clear in your mind right now. It's the alcohol that has been creating a void, emptiness, the vacancy in your heart, the sparseness in your relationships, the barrenness, the isolation, the seclusion, 
feelings of remoteness, the pangs of something missing, bleakness, the dampening of colors, the dulling of senses, the assuaging of happiness. Wow, that was depressing. Let me correct myself. I guess what you will be giving up is loneliness and about 145 other shitty symptoms. I've strived to make the Recovery Elevator podcast positive and uplifting, but when discussing the emotions that alcohol yields, that's a tough one to do. Quitting drinking or staying sober when we feel we are sacrificing something is difficult and rarely sustainable. I lasted for 2.5 years in 2010 to 2012 when I was a dry drunk, and a list of shitty symptoms ensued towards the tail end of that sobriety stint because I was looking at it as a sacrifice. This time around in sobriety, I'm looking at it with a complete 180 degree shift in mindset. It's an opportunity, not a sacrifice. Let me make a parallel between a dry drunk and someone who is using pure willpower to abstain from alcohol and a person who feels they are making a sacrifice by not drinking. Well, these people are all three the same person and are rarely successful in sobriety. Like I said, I made it for 2.5 years, but I'm looking for long-term sobriety here. A sobriety where I'm not creating a void. The person who shifts their thinking towards a life without alcohol is a life with a cornucopia of opportunities is the person who has the best chances of success. With this mentality, it's possible to even enjoy the detoxification process resulting in a welcoming of the uncomfortable withdrawal symptoms. No sleep for the first 72 hours of sobriety? That's okay, because once my sleep returns to normal, I'm going to be sleeping like a baby again. I'll happily go through a couple nights of uncomfortable sleep just so I can experience this precious deep sleep that I experienced before I started drinking. I remember, before my sobriety date of September 7th, 2014, I found myself strangely looking forward to the withdrawal symptoms because I was eager to get through them to experience the brighter side of life. It wasn't until I had this shift of thinking that I stand a chance at getting sober and staying sober. And at this moment, with 2.5 years of sobriety, I still look at sobriety as a magnificent opportunity that the majority of people in life don't get to experience. Again, I can't hammer this down enough. If you're going into sobriety thinking it's going to be a sacrifice, that there's going to be something missing in your life, you might make it a week, a month, a year, maybe even two and a half years, but it's going to be difficult to sustain that progress. However, when one looks at it as a tremendous opportunity, which rarely get to experience, that's the way to go. Once again, you can check out the show notes for this podcast at recoveryelevator.com. And I've also turned this podcast post into a blog post so you can read it if you prefer to consume it that way. And before we hear from Lou, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Lou, how are you? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking, Lou. Let's dive right into this. How long have you been sober? 
I have been sober for uh, two years and about two months, three months. Two years and about two months, if my math is correct. That's uh, a day pretty close to New Year's, right, in, in January 2015? That, that is correct. Nice. And before we learn more about that date, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, how old you are, what you do for a living, are you married, and maybe some hobbies, what you like to do for fun. Sure. So I am 27 years old. I am from New Jersey. Right now, I pursue, um, I do inspirational speaking, I, I teach meditation, and I'm really about guiding people to, to find a, a higher purpose in life. And what I do for fun, I think, I'd say yoga, and I'm actually starting to starting a yoga teacher training, so it might be more work as well, but I love yoga, and I also just consider my life and the work that I'm doing as my fun. I kind of don't really separate work and life balance and just I'm just kind of all in with with what I feel is is my mission right now. There's really only about 5% of people out there that can say that their work is their passion, their life and and, and the fun part of their life. So good for you on that one and I can't wait to dive in to the meditation component. Um it sounds like you do some coaching components as well. I can't wait to dive into that later. But let's Let's talk about that uh, that date around January 2015. Um, talk to me about your rock bottom in the moment. So it's funny that that date is actually not the rock bottom. It's actually maybe quite the opposite. Hmm. And to 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 take you to that story, I'd actually have I'd actually say let's jump back into probably seven months before that. Well, you, let's and... back it up as far as we need to go. <laughs> Yeah, so back up like seven months before that. I guess I mean I guess growing up, I always I got I got myself into like when I was 16 years old uh, or early on in high school when I started drinking, and I just fell in love with with the excitement and the connection that that drinking gave me, and and the way to fit in with with my friends or with friends and with peers and fitting in with the cool crowd. I I really just love the the feeling that that drinking gave me. I, I, at a young age, like I would be like the one kid that wanted to to drink on like the weekdays because it was just I thought it was just so fun. So taking that that party mentality into into college, college brought with it obviously higher parties, maybe bigger consequences. And one night, probably one of the lowest nights was was in college of of getting arrested for attempted burglary because I was just blacked out and just literally just like walking up to, to someone's house that wasn't even my own house and just slamming on the, just all a bunch of stupid stuff. So sure. I've had so many of those, those stories throughout college and they, they all should be like, you know, why don't you make a different choice here? But uh, I was, I was just a guy that I loved the party. Like I, I got my work done. I always was a high achiever. So I made sure that, that was straight like it gets maybe you could say it was a very functioning i was making sure i was doing what i was supposed to be doing but my life was about and what are we doing for the weekend like what are we doing tonight or college was like five six seven nights a week and then moving out into little post post grad and actually working at a corporate job it was always about what are we what are we doing for the weekend and i and i with alcohol i just don't have the control that i like to think i have I would just let myself just be, do things that were shameful. And now, let me ask you a question about the control part. When did you start to realize that you didn't have an on and off switch like other normal drinkers had? 
I think I knew it, and my friends, even in college, called me, like, Liquor Lou, because they knew if I was, like, drinking liquor, then stupid stuff would happen. Liquor um, Lou, yeah, that, that's a great, you might be an alcoholic <laughs> if line, if you've got, yeah, your nickname is Liquor <laughs> Lou. I love it. Good. Yeah, right. But, yeah, I, I, I just never, I don't know if I ever admitted it to myself until I finally saw what, I guess maybe my aha, my initial aha moment when I saw what I could have been and I saw maybe what I was letting where I was letting myself go and and my story it also gets into with me in college starting to get into like the festival and the raving scene and I started finding um like different I started finding MDMA and ecstasy use and that I almost that gave me this this feeling of connection and and love that that alcohol was because alcohol was such a depressing. It would just make me more depressed, and this gave me like a, 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 a it was an upper. It gave me this, sure. this euphoric high, and I wasn't blacking out. Like it was almost like I got addicted to 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 that feeling because I could take it and not forget everything. I could take it and be like, oh my god, this, I feel great, and the next next morning I remember what happened. But but with that that comes. I would say even more depressing lows if you, if you continue to, to go down that route as, as I did. So that's kind of where I took my, my life post-grad, just really working for the weekends, you know, with drinking and going to festivals and, and doing drugs. And for two years, I was kind of on that path. Like I said, still, still making my stuff happen at work, but it was my shift came when I continued to get myself in these really depressing hangovers, like, you know, I always say I didn't have like one rock bottom, but it was just weekend after weekend of, of really getting myself to these, it, it was more on the, the MDMA and ecstasy side, sure. but really getting myself to these really, really deep lows. And like, the, like, you know, I don't know if anyone's familiar with, with the, the hangovers on it, it's just like it sucks the serotonin out of your brain and just makes you feel just absolutely like lifeless. And I just continued to get myself in the same place every weekend. And the highs just wasn't there. Like it was, it, the highs were just getting way lower. And I was just chasing something that was just not there until finally I had a moment. It was, it was Memorial Day weekend of 2014. And I was looking over at my girlfriend at the time. She was sounding asleep. She'd been studying for grad school all night. And I'm laying there. It's like 6 a.m. We had just been partying all night. And I, you know, my eyes were just shot. Like there's no way I was getting any sleep anytime soon. And I just decided that I decided I finally understood where I was going and where this like road was leading. And I just, I just needed to like change something. So I, it was in that moment that I just, I got like this whisper, but I just decided like, I'm going to just stop this. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know for how long I just, in that moment, I was like, I'm just going to stop this for now. I can't, I can't keep doing this to myself every weekend. And uh, that's, that's where the shift started. And then two weeks, two weeks after that is where I, I found myself in this meeting with a group of entrepreneurs, a, a term that was never really anything I, I thought of before. And this group, they were a bunch of guys sitting on a conference table. They were one was like life coaches. Uh, they were was a millionaire real estate investor that was there. They were just really high quality people talking about bettering themselves, sure. talking about bettering their businesses. And it blew me away. Like I was like, where am I? I do not deserve to be in this room. Yeah, who, who are and, these people? And, and did they, they really exist? Did, 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 did they not go to festivals on the weekend? No, I hear you. Yeah, exactly. And it was a, in, in being around that, like I, I felt like I had nothing to contribute to the group. And I finally just kind of like asked them, 
you know, what, I asked him some advice because I felt like I, I maybe didn't tell him all my, my partying loads, but I, I was still finding myself in that mundane like routine. And I just asked them if they had any advice for me. And they, they, they told me, you know, to, to stop watching TV, to you know, start, start reading some books, uh, start surrounding yourself with people that you, you want to be like and start finding ways to, to push your comfort zone. And all this stuff was so new to me. And I was just feeling so uncomfortable. But I, but I felt like afterwards, when I reflected on this meeting, it was a really pivotal point because I felt like I had just been shown what I could have been. I felt like I had been shown, and these people were all in their 20s and they were crushing it at life. And I was like, well, what happened? Where did I go wrong? Where did I start to drift? And it was just a paradigm shift. It was like when you see something and like you can't unsee it. And in a way, I got like, I, I, on, that, on that night, I, I decided I was going to start living with, with a purpose. And mm-hmm. once I, I got that shift, and I started getting into personal development, then that's what I got. That's my new, that was my new addiction. And I started, I just, I just took off from there. I started getting into to reading and finding like, you know, people actually like to, I didn't thought people like read, read books for, for fun or read books to, to learn. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. done in college. Uh, Paul Oakenfold uh, or the compound effect. Hmm. Let me think about this one. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I, I just got, I went heavy into personal development and I found, so I, I was still drinking, uh, but I was, when I was going out, I found myself wanting to drink. So this, this is, this is key right here. The group met at Fridays at 6 PM. Mm-hmm. So a time where I'd normally be like on the beach drinking a margarita, sure. I was meeting for like, you know, personal development and just having these new, con- these high level conversations. And I found when I even started to go out with some of my old friends. And I would drink less because I started to I started to enjoy the the great feelings in the morning, and I, I would drink less and see that everyone was just talking about these stupid conversations, and I I would understand like this is why I used to feel like I needed to to get so drunk to to have fun in this because it just started it was a disconnection like it just started not being as fun anymore, and I started to value the way I feel more than I valued the connection I was feeling getting, getting drunk. So that's, I really think that what we're, we're all searching for is a, a purpose and connection. And a lot of the times alcohol or drugs can, can give us that and give us that sense of purpose and, and that's what we're yearning. So when I found that through more self serving ways, I, I became addicted to that. And I really think that that, that can, that higher purpose can shift so many people who may be struggling with an addiction because once you find the right things to get addicted to your life can shift and so fast forward to to seven months i was just i was just it was a huge transformation really really intense transformation and uh, i got had gotten into meditation just because these people these successful people were talking about meditation and it was through meditation that i i found something that i wasn't even looking for and it, it really shifted me to like another level and that's what brings me to my january new years of 2015 on when i decided i was on a hike by myself coming home from new years i had just visited some friends and of course i went out for new years probably didn't get like really crazy drunk like i used to but we were you know having wine vodka like we were having it all like just beer like everything was just being mixed and then Uh the next morning i was just 
feeling like wasn't didn't do anything stupid nothing like that but it, it was just us three that went out but next morning i'm just, just really hung over i go to a coffee shop and i'm just looking around and i'm looking at like a family just having fun with their with their family on new year's like it's the grandparents are their parents and i'm sitting there and I was, i've been journaling at the time because i had been keeping a journal since getting into this group and i just start writing and and i actually write like a note to myself i was like i, I don't ever want to it, like I don't ever want to feel this hungover like that I can't enjoy time with my kids like if I feel like this like this this would suck like this wouldn't this is not the kind of father that I don't have kids now but I was just you know kind of foreseeing like this is not the kind of father I want to be just by sure. seeing this family so that was like a really intense moment and then I stayed there one more night and didn't drink and the next morning I felt great and I was coming home and I was feeling so great I was like you know I'm gonna go for a hike by myself in, in Joshua Tree. And on this hike, I had this idea of meditating up the mountain because I'd been kind of meditating at the time, nothing too serious. Hang, hang tight. Let me ask you a was, question about meditation. What does that look like for you? Now or when I started? No, when you started. Because I, I, you know, I get emails from listeners asking how meditation, you know, we hear the word meditation every other interview. And it's huge <laughs> in, in something that I, that I get into. I use the app Headspace, for example. But what does it look, look like yeah. for you? And, and at that moment, how would you meditate? In, for example, in the Joshua Tree National Park? Sure. So in the park, I well, I, up to that point, like I said, I wasn't even doing it very much. I think I signed up for like an Oprah and Deepak 21-day meditation challenge like recently before that. I was kind of doing some of those days, but I wasn't very consistent. I would, I would always try and listen to something guided, probably just like searching YouTube. But I, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't really doing it as consistently as I, for what happened to me, because so in Joshua Tree, I was, I just, I, I go up on this hike and I find just a space to, to, to do my first meditation. And it's, I just start breathing and it was just like immediately, I just fell into this deep, this really, really deep peace that mm. I've never, I haven't experienced before. And it was, it was it's like this beautiful, beautiful, loving peace. And it was just, was amazing and, and I get out of it and it was like probably the longest I ever meditated it was, it was probably about 20 a little over 20 minutes which is really not that not that long but the time it was it was it was long for me and I was, it was an incredible experience because I got these words that, that kind of came to me and I kind of just repeating it and the words that came to me are like you're fulfilled you're fulfilled and I just could continue to repeat these words and just feeling really good and really deep peace and I go back on this hike. So I, ha so I had this idea of getting to the top of a mountain and just like meditating. It was, mm -hmm. just, it was like this, pic this picturesque idea in my head. But I, I, get, I go up and I, I kind of stop again on my way up and meditate at another rock. And I get into that same really deep peace and, and just feeling so, so good. And the, I get the other words. I start repeating the words and like the 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 next two words come to me and I'm just repeating you're fulfilled at your core. You're fulfilled at your core. And I repeat this. And it's just this beautiful feeling of love coming from the inside. And I felt like I had these just deep insights coming of, of like, I have everything I need inside me. And I get, I finally get to the top of this mountain and it looks exactly like how I imagined. And I am just in awe at what I'm looking at. I'm feeling so incredible from these meditations. I'm so present. It's, it's everything's beautiful. Everything's radiating. And I go and I start, I, I don't even meditate. I start journaling about the experience, about my meditations. And all of a sudden, I start, 
I started writing this letter to my future sons or daughters. Cause like I, I said to you, like the, the day before I've been getting just emotional thinking about being a father, thinking sure. about, about that. And I think, I think that relates to maybe my history because on my dad, so my dad's an alcoholic. Every single person on his side is an alcoholic. My dad used to tell me when I got in trouble and I was like 16, that you're going to be an alcoholic. Like everyone, like he'd almost like affirm that within me when I was young, which I, I, I don't think it's like what you should be doing with your with your kids, but now is, is your dad still writing. drinking at the, at the moment? He is. He's very. He hides it. He's like sometimes. So I moved back to New Jersey, and I, I don't live with them. But I go home, and he's very functioning in a way. But also, he'll uh, he'll run out to like the porch, and and I know he's he hides like a Hennessy bottle out there. Yeah. And he'll, like, have a little. You could just. You could just. You can just tell from the morning he's he's a way different person than he is at night. But he's yeah. not like sloppy. He's not sloppy at night by any means. But mm-hmm. he like it's still it, it makes me I I hate it because I go over for dinner and I just know he's like not sober and it and I just I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make me feel great. Okay, so. yeah. Sorry to Can't get you off track question. there. I was I was just wondering. No, no, yeah, no. Take me back to that yeah, mountain yeah, on sure. the top. Yeah. So I start writing this this note to my future sons or daughters, and then I get this. I guess almost like it was like this question. And, and what I got was, I, I interpreted it as, do I want, the question I got was, do I want to transcend? But I didn't even know what transcend really meant at the time. <laughs> but uh, but, but the, I asked, the, what I got from it was like, do I want all that life has for me? And that, up to that point, like I told you, I was getting into personal development. Things were going really great. And I was be asking, like, do I really want it? And and. As that, as I got the question, I also knew what my answer had to be, and that answer was I had to completely stop drinking, because I, I realized that that from the night day before, like from being hung over the, the New Year's Day, I realized there was something still holding me back, like something holding me back from being fully present, fully crisp, and I, I didn't know if I could answer that question. I mean, like, what would I? To me, you know, twenty or 25 year old at the time what you know what how would i socialize how would i go out like how would i not have a just a drink in my hand because it's so uncomfortable to be to me it felt like so uncomfortable to be around people like that and i thought back like you know if i was a father if i look back at this 10 years and i didn't make this decision like how would i how would i see myself and in that moment i, I thought about it and, and and really just finally i wrote on my journal like on this day january Second, 2015, like I, Lewis Redmond, stopped drinking. And wow. as I, as I closed the journal, it was like the the sky just opened up and showered me with the the greatest amounts of love, bliss, and just the purest, purest ecstasy that that, is, that words can't even put into word to to describe it. And hang and on, let me I, let me just uh, throw something in here real quick. There's yeah. a one of the value bombs that I that I that I constantly put out there is the word conduits. It's where our higher power, whatever you want to call it, you you, you know, there's this mm-hmm. divine moment where it's usually at a rock bottom moment, but it didn't really sound like, you know, it was a rock bottom moment for you, but these conduits can show up at any time. And a conduit is when we're ready to quit drinking, we're ready to get sober, we're ready to change the pathways in our life. And it sounded like, you know, you recognized it, you walked through it, and that just sounds like an amazing spiritual moment. So thank you for for sharing that. And then, and what was it like right after those moments? I mean, you know, so sometimes you journal and just say, look, I'm done drinking, but it's, 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 uh, the rubber's got to hit the road. How, how'd you do it? 
Exactly. So, you know, I get back down the mountain, um, beautiful experience, crying, like just every, yeah. And then I get back and I'm like, holy shit, that was a spiritual experience. I don't, like, I didn't even, I wasn't like a spiritual kind of person. I wasn't seeking or searching anything, but that was like a really spiritual experience. And I drive back and I'm like, holy, what did I sign up for? Like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> <What am I?"> Uh-oh. <laughs> And then uh, I was like, you know what? I'm feeling so good. I'm just going to take it one day at a time. Like, no, like, I'm just going to take it one day at a time, see what happens. And so what happened was I had more of these experiences the next few days, and it continued to intensify. My realizations continued to grow, and I just felt this, this, this really deep connection with, with, yeah, whatever you call a higher power, God, whatever you want to, whatever term you use for that thing, that, that, that amazing um, energy that I believe is inside of all of us. And I, this is a very extremely long story, which is I recently I wrote a book to kind of explain all this huge transformation. And I, five days later, I decided I, I felt like this call to, to another, I felt the call to, to pursue a, a higher purpose. And I ended up quitting my job with, with no two week notice, with no money saved. I really had no plans on what I was going to do, but it was through having more of these experiences the next um, three, four days that on January 6th, I, I literally just completely went to the unknown. And then it was, it was that morning because I wrote an email to my whole company saying I was quitting immediately. And I had another, like probably my, my highest, most intense experience on that morning. And that it's funny. It's a, it's a crazy story because the police actually came after I, I quit because I put my phone on airplane mode and it was so out of, it was so out of whack. So out of like, so out of character. Yeah. People do. Yeah. And it didn't, people didn't make sense because I was doing so good at work. I just got a promotion. Like it, did, it made no sense to anyone, but, um, they thought I was, they, they asked me if I was committing suicide. They, they, the cops came cause they, they, people at my work were actually fearful that I was committing suicide. Hmm. It was actually the complete, it was the complete opposite. I just felt this love inside of me that I needed to share. So it was through, it was through that that jump into the unknown and, and really taking on what I what I what I see as the the hero's journey of, of of fulfilling and becoming what I you know fulfilling a higher purpose. That really solidified any kind of like thinking. Well, I thought about the drinking part a lot, I guess, because it was just, I was, it was such a crazy spiritual awakening for me that as far as the alcohol, like it was, it's so interesting because in the, the five or six, seven months that followed, I, I, I stopped drinking on that day, but I, I felt like I went out when I, I, it took me a while to actually be with people. It was this crazy crazy moment. I actually got back with my ex-girlfriend on that day. It's, it's a really wild story. Like I said, that's why a month after I was like, I need to write a book about this sure. transformation and the story because it's just, it's just, I, I needed to express that. Well, let me, let me ask you a I question still, too about, you yeah. know, you said you had a spiritual transformation. It's, it's, you know, it, one, I want to, again, kind of get back to like how you got sober and, you know, at the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, a, you know, first first question is, did you use AA or anything like that? But usually, you know, the last step is we all had a spiritual transformation. It sounds like yours was kind of reversed. You had the spiritual transformation first. And then what happened after that? Did you did you go to AA or anything like that? Or did you just continue working no. with these other people, surrounding yourself with other successful individuals, writing this book, continuing to explore this inner deep spiritual experience? 
that's it yeah it was just it was like a ship like i always say it's like you're kind of going down one path where you're maybe where alcohol is a struggle for you and you totally paradigm shift your life and like you have this spiritual awakening it's like it just though things don't look the, you're in a different you're a different person in a way like things don't look the same like i even i said i quit like the next the following month i probably i probably had like i would have two months after I felt like I needed to have a, I had not, I felt like I needed to have a drink, but I was out with people and everyone was drinking and I just felt really uncomfortable. And I try, I was like, tried having a drink. And as I got halfway through it, I was like, I don't, this doesn't, I don't want this at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like I don't want it at all. So I just, it doesn't make my body feel good. So it was literally just, you're, you're going down one path, you move over and you, you transform, right? It's the transformation. It's one, one, you were one way and now you're a completely different way. And it was through, but through surrounding yourself with the right people, obviously is going to keep you on that path. Now, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would tell my younger self to start surround, like look at who you're surrounding yourself with or tell yourself that, that you can really live like a really happy, exciting life without drugs or alcohol. Like you are meant to, to feel a natural ecstasy. I really believe there's a natural high that is better than any kind of drug or drink that you could put in your body. And that's what we all should be working to express. Mm -hmm. And what do you value most in your recovery in this last two years? What do you value most? I value that I finally have gotten proud of it. I think for a long time, I felt like a, and a lot of people might resonate with this. You feel kind of like the outcast that you feel like you're labeled. Let's say if you don't have a drink with around, like a family get together or just with your friends, you feel just labeled as, Oh, like you don't drink, you're an alcoholic. And I finally getting proud of the fact that man, it's, you know, I don't drink. Cause I, it's like, that was a, a huge, a huge, um, I think accomplishment in a moment for me. I think one of the most badass things about me is, is the fact that I don't drink and it's, it's really, it's just right? that yeah. simple, man. And that's <laughs> the further along I go in sobriety, it used to be, I could ride a wheelie for like 20 yards, but now my crowning achievement in life is my sobriety. I mean, that, that, that kicks butt. I've been sober for over two and a half years and, and that is what distinguishes me apart. And that's who I am at this moment right now. And what would you say you, you know, one of what would some of your most proudest achievements that you've had in a recovery? Maybe let's talk a little bit about where you quit your job with no two weeks notice. The police even came to your house thinking this, this characteristic of you is just so different. Um, you know, what have you, what have you accomplished in sobriety and what are you working on these days? Well, like I said, I started working on a book right, uh, a month afterwards and it was been a two, two year journey of just telling the story and, and getting my message. And it was still a time of, of self-reflection, still a time of finding out really what I was going to do, really how my life was going to come. And I, I've seen that, that when we when we, we have those transformations and I believe we follow our, where our heart's calling us, we, we, are, we are supported by unseen forces. And I had been supported every step of the way and I, and I worked and I just, I just finished and I just published this, this book that's finally out in the world. So that's been a huge accomplishment for me. And What's the I, name of the book? The book is Find Your Truth. Find Your Truth. And where can and, we find this truth? Literally, where can we find the book? <laughs> it's on Amazon. Okay. Gotcha. Find yeah. your truth. And what yeah. other things are you working on right now moving forward? 
uh, I'm really working on getting this message out of, of the message in the book. And because I, I, in the book, I tell all the, the low drinking stories. So it's called section one is self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And I tell the sabotaging stories. I tell the drink, the bad drinking. I go into like the drug use and I really just bring the reader down to where I was and, but also reflected into like, where does this relate to in your life? And then throughout it, I, I share like the steps that I, I took and the steps that helped me and really this message of that. We all have this love inside of us. We all have this higher, I believe a higher calling or a higher purpose or just a mm-hmm. more natural way to feel good. Like you're meant to really live life and it's life is meant to feel amazing and once you catch a piece of that and especially with someone that has caught that with with drinking or with drugs i really believe that once you get addicted and i have a i talk about this in the book of the addictive personalities like once you get addicted to the right thing like that can take hold of you and it it, you really make for a beautiful and fulfilling life so it's, it's spreading that message right now I love it. And Lou, walk us through a typical day of life in your recovery. How do you do it from start to finish? How do you stay sober day after day? Sure. Well, I, it's great. It's great. I got to a point where I, I think it's like a little after two years and going through the big shift. It's like, you know, I don't even think about, I don't really think about like drinking or anything, anything like that anymore. I'm just kind of so focused on what I'm doing. But I guess the normal day would be a, I wake up and I would do some journaling I probably journal for like 20 minutes and then go take a shower, come back and, and do a meditation normally between 20 to 30, 40. It really depends on the morning or, mm-hmm. or how much time I have and how long. Normally at least 15 to 20 minutes is, is my minimum. And I go to work. I go to work on what I'm passionate about. I work on my business and I, and I work on what I need to for the entire really the entire day, maybe meet some people for, for coffee and just make connections, trying to build community. And uh, at night, honestly, my life is so consumed in, in making, making my life really getting out there that it almost is my entire day. Like I, oh, then I'll go to yoga. So like I said, I'm really passionate about yoga mm-hmm. and normally we'll do that towards, towards the end of the day. But in a way, maybe it seems a little boring, but I'm just, I'm so in love with, with, with what I found and, and really trying to, or really making my life happen. Because when you, when you cut all bridges to a corporation, when you just you go all in and you have to start with, with this new knowledge, it's, it's a lot of, lot of work and it's a lot of learning and figuring things out. But it's, I think it's a, it's the, the great, the greatest journey. Perfect. And Lou, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking, Lou? Worst memory is when I woke up in jail with my mom picking me up and had to walk in the car and you could just you can just taste the shame on her face. Hmm. And it was just a extremely just an extremely low moment for me. And next question, Lou, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? My plan in sobriety is to be a messenger for sobriety and to tell to, to be an example of of having a great time and, and, and living life to the fullest sober. So I have I, I know that that's part of, of me in, in why I took this step. 
Next question. I'm curious personally on this. Um, what are some of your favorite resources in recovery? And it doesn't really have to be recovery related. I know you've read a ton of self-help books out there. You know, I, I mentioned the compound effect by Greg Hardy. That's one of my favorite ones, but, but what are, what were some of those books that have really been pivotal in your life? And another one that I just read was the untethered soul by Michael Singer. That's a huge one for me, but what are, what are some of your favorite resources in recovery or while, you know, that have helped you get sober and, and stay sober? Sure. Yeah. I would say outwitting the devil is a, it's by Napoleon Hill and it kind of just shows you where like the devil, you can call the devil as the alcohol and he talks about the alcohol and how, how you said like 5% of people are, are on that path and 95% of people are, are letting the devil kind of control their life and the devil could be a lot of different things, but uh, that was a pivotal book for me, outwitting the devil. Hmm. As far as Another one would be Conversations with God. I think that was a, a really, really deep book for me and really just showed me a lot of the things that I was intuitively feeling. And it's almost, it's a beautiful, in a sense, roadmap on how to live. And also you learn, just learn a ton. So those two were definitely really pivotal. And, and I feel like I've read so many books. It's like you just kind of got to continue to find what's what is calling you in in the moment. But I think those two, if you start there, yeah, yeah I've good stuff. I've read a couple titles from Napoleon Hill. Of course, Think Big and Grow Rich, but um, I haven't yeah. even heard of that other title. I'm going to check that one out. And next question in regards to sobriety recovery, what's the best advice you've ever received? And then follow that up with what's some advice you can give to someone who's thinking about getting sober or someone in early sobriety. The best advice I had ever received. It's funny. I think it was such an it was such an internal battle that no one was ever giving me. It was, no one was ever giving me advice. Like I felt like I was just going through my own my own thing because the people I surrounded myself with all drank, and I didn't really search. I didn't really seek out anyone besides that. Like, and it was having my own spiritual and shift, and really with the drug use shift, I I never like would seek. I never sought stuff out, but if I had to, if I had to give advice, I would just say what you are searching for in the bottle, what you are searching for in drugs or whatever, it's, it's there for you in something else. Like that feeling, that, that connection, that purpose, that love, that understanding is there for you in a more fulfilling way. And I think that's the the deepest that's a huge value bomb right there, listeners, is I drank to fill a void. And in recovery, I have learned a portfolio of other different things to fill that same void. That is huge what Lou just said right there. And Lou, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you hide Hennessy bottles in your porch. You might be an alcoholic if you consistently black out every weekend, mm-hmm. and you might be an alcoholic if your friends called you Liquor Lou in college. Liquor Lou. No, yeah, a lot of those, oftentimes we get you know, kind of some funny responses on those, but those are, those are just some legit ones. Yeah, you might be an alcoholic if you're blacking <laughs> out every night of the week. You might be an alcoholic if you're hiding you know, whiskey bottles around your house, so those are definite indicators and and Lou how do people if they want to find your book how do they how do they connect with you personally or how do they find do you have a website or something like that yeah so you can um, connect with me at louredmond.com um, r-e-d-m-o-n-d l-o-u and 
my book is on Amazon, Find Your Truth. And the subtitle is A Modern Day Story About Letting Go of Addiction and Finding Life's Purpose. Um, I love so yeah, it. either way, I would love to love to hear from, from you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Lou. Thank you for helping me embark on my journey to sobriety as well and helping me stay sober. So thank you so much for that, Lou. Thanks for having me on. It's time to shred the shame. Take a sober selfie of yourself and email to info at recoveryelevator.com. In the subject line, put sober selfie, your name, and the amount of sobriety you have. It doesn't matter if you've got one day or you're on day 30. Go ahead and let's shred the shame. We've got nothing to be ashamed about. Email us your sober selfies. You might be an alcoholic if you need three Pinot Grigios while shopping at Target. Somebody just emailed me, Target currently sells liquor, wine, and beer at a number of its stores, but currently does not allow patrons, customers, shoppers to drink and shop. Well, Target, that's probably because you're not a bar. You're a shopping center. You're a pretty damn good shopping center. I'll give you that. I love the seasonal displays you have when fall comes around, but still, you're a shopping center and not a bar. My sources, well, an article sent to me, says that A Target outside of Chicago near the Navy Street Pier has applied for a liquor license and plans to allow shoppers to consume alcohol while shopping. Oh wait, I got another one here. You might be an alcoholic if you meet your friends for happy hour at Target. Oh, ah, here comes another one. You might be an alcoholic if you start drinking at Target, but you wake up with a red Target Sharpie on your forehead. And they keep coming. You might be an alcoholic if you and your friend Rex replicate the Daytona 500 with shopping carts in the sporting goods section of Target. Of course, after while consuming many beverages. You might be an alcoholic if you drive around to multiple different Targets just so the store clerks don't know you're an alcoholic. If you're in a small town like mine in Bozeman, you got to drive a lot of miles across this state. You might be an alcoholic if you shop at Target only Tuesdays because Tuesday is two-for-one beer night at Target. You might be an alcoholic if you are the reason that the shopping day after Thanksgiving at Target is now called Blacked Out Friday. Okay, that's all I've got for you. Those were fictitious you might be an alcoholic if line. Usually they're all real, believe it or not. Those are fictitious, but probably all will come true if Target sells alcohol in their stores. This podcast is not a diatribe against alcohol. If you can drink normally, drink one, 20, 30, or 40, or 50 for me. I guess one good thing that could come out of this is it's a hell of a lot easier to stay accountable in a huge target than a small dive bar per se. If you're drinking in the snack bar by the entrance of Target, there's probably two to three to four hundred people that's going to walk by in the next 30 minutes. Tommy, is that you? I could barely recognize you behind the bag of popcorn in Coors Light. Tommy... I thought you were trying to stay sober. Tommy's like, damn it, I should not have gone to Target to drink. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.